Welcome to Market Matters, Thompson Hines podcast series that explores critical legal and regulatory issues affecting the investment management industry. I'm Mike Weibel, a partner in Thompson Hines Investment Management Practice Group. I'm joined by Craig Foster, an associate in that group, as well as Martin Dean, who serves as Vice President and Director of Fund Compliance for Ultimus Fund Solutions. Martin, welcome to the podcast. And for our listeners who may not be familiar with your firm, can you tell us a little bit more about Ultimus and what you do? Sure thing. Well, Ultimus, uh, we provide comprehensive middle and back office services to midsize and smaller investment management firms. We offer service solutions for mutual funds, including fund organization, fund administration, fund accounting, transfer agent, shareholder services, and also distribution services for open-end and closed-end funds. Uh, we have about 150 professional accountants, attorneys, and paralegals, and a wealth of financial services experience. Uh, my fund compliance team at Ultimus provides compliance services to Ultimus's third-party mutual fund clients in support of their Rule 38A1 compliance program obligations. And for certain clients, we also serve as the chief compliance officer. Thanks, Martin. In today's podcast, we're talking about one of the most critical pieces of an advisor's or mutual fund's compliance program, the annual review. In a risk alert published just this February, the SEC noted that inadequate annual reviews are among the top five compliance topics most frequently cited in deficiency letters. And anecdotal evidence that we hear from industry participants backs this up. Annual reviews are often uh, tricky to scope and carry out effectively. Martin, would you agree with that? Definitely. Uh, Depending on the nature of a firm's business, it's often hard to know where to begin or what to cover. I hear questions like, do I need to test everything? When? How often? What documentation do do I need to keep? It can seem overwhelming. You know, we've heard that too, especially from CEOs who wear multiple hats at a firm. So I'm hoping that today we can just demystify the annual review a bit uh, for our listeners. We want, of course, be able to come up with a one-size-fits-all approach for every fund uh, or advisor, but maybe we can help folks know where to start. And often I find the best place to start is the source of the requirement. Craig, can you remind our listeners why funds and advisors have to do annual reviews in the first place? I can do that. Uh, the requirements come straight out of SEC rules. For advisors, it's Advisors Act Rule 2064-7. For funds, it's covered in Rule 38A1 under the 1940 Act. Rule 2064-7 specifically requires an annual review of the Advisors Compliance Program. And Rule 38A1 requires an annual review of the compliance programs of the fund, the fund's advisor, underwriter, administrator, and transfer agent. It also requires a fund's CCO to report to the board on the results of those reviews. And in my experience for both advisory firms and funds, it's usually the CCO who drives the annual review process. Yeah, while that's true, Craig, I think we should clarify that there's no requirement that the CCO conduct all aspects of the review. Many firms engage third parties to conduct the bulk of the review and are overseen by the internal CCO. Firms often find that outside consultants can bring a fresh perspective to the review. Outside consultants also may have the advantage of seeing how multiple firms are attacking similar problems and giving them increased insight. And Mike, I would think that regulators tend to look favorably on the use of outside consultants on the annual review, especially when there's documented improvements made to the compliance program. I would also say that third-party consultants can bring a higher level of accountability to the process. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and if I could, I want to piggyback on something Mike said earlier about the internal CCO overseeing the process. When firms hire third parties to do the annual review, I want to make sure they are building in time for the third party to get to know all aspects of the firm's business. 
It's all too easy for someone outside the company who's unfamiliar with the key risk areas of a firm to overlook high risk areas that should be addressed in a review. Firms that engage third parties shouldn't think that they are just outsourcing the compliance review in the way that they might outsource other functions. Instead, they really need to look or work closely with the reviewer all the way through the process, even if the consultant is doing most of the heavy lifting. Okay, so we've covered the why and the who. What about the substance? Uh, Craig and Martin, how do we go about selecting what's covered by the annual review? Well, my first thought on this is that the areas of focus for a compliance review are going to have to be very highly firm-specific. Firms that engage in what I'll call riskier practices, such as investing in hard-to-value securities, those that use soft dollars, those that have performance fees, or especially those that engage in affiliated transactions, they'll want to ensure that the annual reviews cover testing of those policies, procedures designed to minimize the risk associated with those activities. And I'd also think you'd want to build in testing based on changes and other occurrences that happen during the year. For example, start with the regulators. Have there been any new rules or guidance updates to consider? We know that cybersecurity and business continuity plans, for example, have been recent hot topics for the SEC. In addition, I'd want to think about changes to the firm's business. I'd ask, have you implemented new strategies? Are you using new software or new policies and procedures? You probably should check how those are working and keep your eyes out for changes in industry best practices. Look at what your competitors are doing. Right, and I'd also say you want to look at what went wrong last year and you know, be honest. What compliance exceptions happened? How often? What did the clients complain about? Have there been any issues that cropped up that could have used a new policy or procedure? You know, for example, have employees started using social media or started encountering clients with suspected diminished capacity? Absolutely. And of course, these questions aren't just for discussion. The SEC expects firms to document the answers to this kind of risk inventory using risk, written risk assessments and use those answers to help you scope your review. Uh, firms likely conducted an initial written ri- risk assessment when designing their compliance program at the outset. Make sure that you keep it updated and refreshed as part of your annual review. And speaking of documentation, rules under the Advisors Act require advisors to maintain records of the annual review. What are you seeing firms do to meet this requirement? I think there are a number of things that should be maintained. Advisors should keep an inventory of the procedures reviewed, the tests performed, and the results of those tests. They also need to keep track of what files were reviewed and keep summaries of interviews that were conducted. Of course, all of this should be accompanied by a formal written report detailing the findings and recommendations directed to management. As you mentioned earlier, fund CCOs are required to report the findings of the annual review to the fund's board. Advisors, but not specifically required to do so, should consider doing the same thing. Yeah, and I'd, I'd add one more thing, Mike. If a third party is engaged to conduct the review, then that formal report should also have a summary of the relevant business functions of the firm. As I mentioned, to be effective, a third-party consultant has got to take the time to get to know the business. Including a detailed summary of the firm's business in the report demonstrates that the consultant took the time to do so. Craig, that brings up an interesting question that I hear a lot from compliance folks. Given that the contents of the written report are subject to review by regulators, what are some things to think about when it comes down to deciding how the report's going to be presented? Great question, Lauren. I think one thing to remember is that regulators tend to look favorably on a firm spotting and effectively addressing compliance issues that arise within the company. If you've got documentation that the review of your compliance program found some potential for improvement and you made improvements as a result, then that's a good thing. That's why the review is required to take place in in the first place. Frankly, I'd imagine that regulators would be skeptical if they found that the reviews 
resulted in no findings or that everything was perfect or no changes were needed. And as you're considering the level of detail to provide in the report, I'd also consider how more detail can bring value to your compliance efforts. Knowing more about how issues arose helps better design ways of keeping them from happening in the future. So once we decide on how much detail to provide, then we need to determine what the report should cover and how do we lay it out. Mike, what are your thoughts or advice on that? Well, I often encourage clients to start with the overview of the methodology that they're going to use. Who did what? How long did it take? What period was tested? What were the areas of focus? And what policies and procedures were looked at in particular? If a third party is conducting the review, then, as you mentioned, there should be a section that describes the relevant organization and function of the business. And annual reports for funds are required to cover changes to the compliance programs, as well as compliance issues that arose during the year. As we discussed earlier, it doesn't hurt to include legal developments or changes in a business's operations, as well as any recent regulatory guidance or or industry practice changes. And of course, there should be a section on findings and recommendations based on those findings, which should include an overall assessment of the adequacy of the compliance program. All right, so we've got a written report and we've delivered it to management. Do we just stick it away in a file until next year? Of course we don't, right? If there have been some findings, we've got some follow-up to do. Right. This could present one of the most sensitive parts of the annual review. Serious compliance violations or even possible violations of law uncovered by the annual review can present serious risk to the company if not handled in the right way. Internal or and or external counsel should be consulted as appropriate, and remedial action should be taken and documented. One other thing to think about is that if your compliance program dictates certain sanctions, then those sanctions need to be applied. Not imposing prescribed disciplinary action is likely to raise serious flags with the SEC. This is particularly true if it turns out that the sanctions were not taken with respect to key personnel like a star portfolio manager or a major stakeholder. Uh, Great point. As far as follow-up goes, I'd also consider whether, depending on the findings, more training is going to be needed. If so, that training should be documented. Also, be sure to roll forward your findings so that next year's compliance review can evaluate how well remedial actions are working. Right, right. Otherwise, the SEC won't think you've learned anything from the review. Well, it looks like we're reaching the end of our time here. To recap, it sounds like from our conversation that the annual review process has got to be tailor-made to fit a firm's business, just like the compliance program itself. And that takes some work. But if done thoughtfully, an annual review can significantly improve a firm's compliance program while simultaneously meeting regulatory requirements. And that's worth the time and effort. Martin and Craig, would you agree? Definitely. Couldn't have said it better. Thank you, Martin and Craig, for talking with me today. And for our listeners, thank you for taking the time to check Market Matters. I hope you found the information shared during today's program valuable. If you'd like to learn more about today's topic for Thompson Hines Investment Management Group, please visit thompsonhine.com or contact a member of our team directly. With approximately 400 lawyers in seven offices, Thompson Hine is a full-service business law firm recognized for innovation and client service. Our smart path approach provides clients with service that is predictable, efficient, and aligned with their goals. 